This morning's reading is from 1 Peter, chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. This can be found on page 1219 in the Church Bibles. Living for God. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body has finished with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power for ever and ever. Amen. Great, thank you. Please do keep your Bibles open. Uh, it's really exciting to be speaking to you this morning on Christian living and what it means to, to live and, as a Christian in the world. Uh, but before uh, I begin talking, I want to have a word of prayer. So let's just bow our heads. Father, thank you for the Bible, your, your words to us. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to think about what it means to live as a Christian in 2017 here in Hove. And we ask this for the glory of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Jamie is 17 years old. He's been coming to church for about a year now, but it was only a couple of months ago on a church weekend away that he made a commitment to follow Jesus. And about the same time, about a year ago that he'd been coming along to church, he found that he was getting invited to more and more parties at college. This was very exciting for Jamie. He was by no means a popular person. But these people that, that Jamie, uh, was you know, inviting Jamie to these parties, well, they wanted to spend time with him. These were, these were the cool people, the people he thought was out of his league. But one night he goes to a party and he can see that actually people are acting a bit strange, people acting a bit different, and he can see that there's some, there's some slightly odd things going on. But he's not sure what to do about it. He feels conflicted. Rachel is in her early 40s, and she's been coming to church pretty much on and off all her life. One morning as she's commuting to work on the train, she's, she's scrolling through her phone, looking at her, her, her bank balance, and all of a sudden, he sees she's been substantially overpaid. 
Now, Rachel has already taken out various payday loans. She's already in debt. And this little, this little slip-up could, could easily answer all of those financial problems. But she's torn. Which way to go? Does she say something? Or doesn't she? Well, what decisions are Jamie and Rachel going to make as Christians? Well, the passage that Heloise has just read to us tells us that being a Christian means a new way of living. A new way of living. Now, whether you would call yourself a Christian here this morning, uh, or whether you wouldn't, or maybe you're, you're not quite sure, I don't want anyone leaving without understanding that being a Christian means something, a new way of living. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, there has to be change. But if if being a Christian means a new way of living, what does it look like? What does it look like? I'm going to ask three questions this morning. What does it look like? How is it possible? And, And why should we bother? Firstly then, what does it look like? Well, being a Christian means that you start living your life God's way. You start living your life God's way. Not your own, but God's way. And the word the Bible uses is sanctified. Sanctified. It means to be set apart. It means to be holy. Not before, but after we've been saved by Jesus. We more and more resemble our father. Now, as my, my two sons, Ben and Sammy, grow up, they, well, they start to resemble me, sometimes in behaviour, sometimes in looks. I hope none of them get my enormous nose. But, uh, but they, they grow and they begin to resemble their father. Well, this, this, this passage describes not only is that kind of growing resemblance possible, but actually we should expect it. The first thing that Christians do that helps them to change is they leave behind old ways. They leave behind old ways. Look down in your Bibles at uh, verses 2 and 3. Verses 2, starting on page 1219. Peter says, as a result, as a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans chose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. What Peter is saying here is that once you become a follower of Jesus, you begin, maybe slowly at first, but you begin to make this transition. You begin to start resembling your father as you leave behind old ways. This is what Peter means when he says, by what the the pagans chose to do. He's talking about the people who don't know Jesus. The people who don't know Jesus. They don't act in a way like him. But what Peter does say is that people who do know Jesus, well, they don't live the rest of their lives like that. They they move away from those those old behaviours. Something's happened. There's a turning away and life takes a new direction. Whatever kind of, of, of life that might have been before, it changes. 
And just before you say, oh, Christians, surely they're those ones who, who don't have those problems, who, who've lived spotless lives. Well, look at what Peter says again in verse 3. He says, you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans chose to do. You have. Peter expects that the church is full of people like this. They're everywhere, sitting in our pews and in our chairs, full of people who once lived lives like this. But the difference is, as verse 2 says, the difference is they do not live the rest of their lives for these desires. Well, think about 17-year-old Jamie then at the party. He remembers this. He remembers that actually he's left behind those old ways of thinking and behaviour and acting. And as a follower of Jesus, he's not going to make a decision based on those desires. His desires to be liked or or for gratification or, or for whatever used to fill him. He turns away. He turns away. But you see, that turning away is only half of it. What he really needs is something to turn towards, something more attractive than what those things offered him. He needs something more beautiful, something greater, something more lovely. What Peter says is that turning away, that's only the first step of the journey. The second step is you need to replace it with something, with someone it has, to be, it has to be deep. It has to be strong enough to replace those old desires. More satisfying. More long-lasting. What he says is that you need a new inner life. A new inner life. Well, how does that take shape? Well, look right at the beginning of the chapter, at verse 1, at what Peter says. He says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body... Arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body has finished with sin. Now, it's important to know that Peter is addressing his letter to a church. They're experiencing persecution. They're experiencing suffering because they follow and they love Jesus. It's not easy for them. They are facing pressure for believing in Jesus. So how does Peter counsel them, these people who are suffering, who are being persecuted? How does he counsel counsel them to face that pressure? Well, he does it by saying, be like your mind. Be like your attitude, like Jesus. Being like Jesus in your attitude. That's how he counsels them to face that pressure. In their minds, in their thinking, in their inner selves, the things that drive them, the things that they are passionate about. Be like Jesus. What does that mean? Well, it means to approach situations in life, to approach situations in life the same way that Jesus would. To share his attitude, his mind, an attitude that is not about seeking his old desires, seeking old desires that we may have. But as it says at the end of, of verse 3, end of verse 3, but rather for the will of God. Not old desires, but for the will of God. Not for my will, but for God's will. That's his attitude. That is the attitude of Jesus. To have his inner self focused on the will of God, 
And that's the one we need to have as well. If we're to turn away from those old desires, old ways of living towards a new and better way. What Peter says is you understand what Jesus' attitude is. You understand it and he says here, you arm yourselves with it. You arm yourselves with it like like a sword in battle. Going into the fight, you arm yourselves with Jesus' attitude. That's what followers of Jesus do. We arm ourselves with Jesus' attitude, his approach to seeing God's will fulfilled. And like Jesus prayed in the Lord's Prayer, and as he teaches us, Father, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Arm yourself with the, with the same attitude of Jesus. And it will cause two things, this passage says, it will cause two things to happen internally as all that stuff is happening inside of you. It causes, as, well, let's see what it says. Verse 7 and 8. Peter says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. So that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Peter says you have this attitude of Jesus and it will cause prayerfulness and it will cause inner love. This this is radical change, exciting change happening on the inside. Prayer and love, prayer and love. Prayer showing that we are talking to God about how he wants us to live. Whatever situation, whatever temptation we face, we can pray to our Father. That's one of these inner changes that will happen in us. And secondly, we see love. Love is an expression of that gratitude for all Jesus has done for us. You see, both for Jamie at the party and for Rachel, as she's thinking about what to do with her overpayment, that both of them in their situations can pray and arm themselves with Jesus' attitude. They can pray, I want to do the right thing by you, Father. I want to do the right thing. I want your will to be done. Lord, you know I want the money. Lord, you know I want the popularity, but I need you more. I need you more. That is the new inner self that is available to all of us who follow Jesus. Turning away and turning towards a new inner self. It's like, like the picture here of, of the plant growing up. There would have been a seed and before the, the, the stem and the, the leaves grow, there must be roots. There must be stuff growing underneath the surface. And that's what Peter is saying this is. This is Jesus' attitude in our hearts that means we can pray and we can love one another rightly in those difficult situations. Peter says that not only will that, that Christ-like attitude you have on the, the inside shape how you are feeling, how you will react in those situations, but as Helen was saying earlier, it will shape our generosity. It will shape those things on the outside and give us an outer generosity. And this generosity appears in the passage really practically. It's great. It's really practical stuff. And we see it in three ways. He says it's generosity with your lives, generosity with your gifts, and generosity with your words. With your lives, your gifts, and your words. 
Firstly, generosity with your lives. Look at verse 9. He says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Great, wonderful, practical words. This is, this is hospitality. This is kindness to strangers. Kindness to strangers. And Jesus made this point even clearer. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, if someone forces you to go one way, uh, sorry, one, forces you to go with them one mile, go with them two miles. Do not resist the evil person. This is the sort of kindness to strangers. Now, it's, it's wonderful. Helen spoke of, of the kindness of, of her friend's hospitality. But I think Peter wants us, and actually God wants us to go further than that. He's talking about hospitality to, to the people who aren't our friends. Hospitality to the people who we find it hard to get on with. Hospitality not just to people who we find it easy to do hospitality to, but people who find it hard. Maybe they're a different social background. Maybe they're people who have rubbed us up the one way in the past. Maybe they're people who are very different to us. This is the kind of radical hospitality, this, this Christ-like generosity that, G, that, that Paul is, yeah, Peter is talking about here. Christ-like generosity. But a lot of us find this hard. It doesn't come naturally. This outer generosity. And often people try and and skip straight to this and forget the turning away. They forget the new inner self and start doing the practical stuff. Practical stuff that is good. But I'm going to say it's going to be really hard to do it without grumbling, as Peter says. If you're not turning away from those old ways of thinking and acting. If you haven't got that new inner self. To do it without grumbling is requiring those things. It's requiring deeper roots so that you can show that generosity. Secondly, the passage then says generosity with your gifts. Look down with me at verse 10. Peter says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Peter is saying, whatever it is that God has given you, whatever gift, use it not just for yourself, not just for yourself, but to serve others, to serve others. As as Helen really well illustrates, that's, that's got so many possibilities in the life of the church. It's not just talking about money. Money is one of them, but it's not just it. The text says anything God has given you whether that's skills or character or time or ideas, whatever they may be, don't just use them for yourselves. God wants us to be using them to be a blessing to others. This is the kind of radical community he wants us to be, where we're using the things God has given us to bless one another. And praise God that there are people in this church doing that. But I know all of us and myself, we need God's help to do that more. Whatever we've been given by God, using that as a blessing for others. And again, if you find this hard, go back. Think about what things that maybe you're you're clinging on to and don't want to let go. Think about those. Ask for God's help and think about that new inner attitude that Christ had before you can show that generosity. I know that some people find giving really hard, really hard. And I can relate to that. Sometimes I do as well. Sometimes my motives in giving aren't pure. 
Sometimes I need to take a step back and be reminded of God's love and God's kindness to me and this new attitude of Christ that I can have. And commit to working on that inner life and those old ways of thinking that need to change. But by God's grace it's possible. And we'll see that in a minute. Well thirdly then, it's generosity with words. With words. Look down at the beginning of of verse 11. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. Now, this may not be something that we've thought about before, but Peter is encouraging those who follow Jesus to not only show generosity with the things, with the, the, the practical things that they have, but also with the things that they say to one another, the things that they say. To do so as if they were speaking God's own words. One American pastor wrote that one thing he tries to do before he is speaking to someone else, whether it's someone after church or or a member of family, whoever it is, he tries to remember to pray this. Lord, what do you want this person to, to see or know about you in the current situation, location or relationship of life where you have placed them? What do you want this person to see or know? And then to use me as a a channel to to share those words of encouragement. This is is a new way of using words with one another. I hope you're you're excited about this. How we could be a blessing with our words to one another after church or during the week. Imagine this as a church where, where we share those conversations with one another. Where they had that focus. Lord, what do you want this person to see? about you and about themselves? And how can my words be generous to that effect? Whether that's an encouragement or a kind comment or the reassurance of your prayers and your friendship. With our words, there is huge potential for generosity. So, if being a Christian means a new way of living, God's way, and we've explored that, How can we do it? We still, how can we do it and why should we do it? And these will be shorter. Well, how can we do it? Well, the only way we can do it, as the passage makes clear, is in God's grace and in God's strength. Look down again at at verse 11, about, about halfway through. He says, if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, with the strength God provides. This means that that whatever you are facing, God is able and God is willing to give you strength to face that, to live his way, to do that Christian living his way in his strength. And what this means is this passage isn't only just telling us about what we need to do. It's not just about what we need to do, but it's showing us how that's possible. And it's by God's grace. That means that Jamie, at this party, because of God's grace and strength, he has the power and self-control, if it's right, to leave. He has the strength to leave. Even though he will probably face rejection or humiliation and their mockery. It's because he knows he can trust God's strength to help him. God's strength is enough. It is enough. It's enough to help him live God's way. 
And what this means for us is that, that whoever we are, whatever it is we face, whatever temptations, whatever difficulties we find to, to live that Christian living, live God's way, well, I would say that the only real mistake you can make, there's only one real mistake you can make, and that is trying to do it in your own strength. Because God's strength is available to us to help us live that life. Peter says, if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. Which is a wonderful liberation. God isn't asking us to show any more generosity or any more in the Christian life apart from which he will help us to do. He's not saying, I will help you so far, but you've got to do the rest. And if you can't uh, muscle up the strength to do that, well, tough. He's saying, no, I will provide all of that strength to serve. It's his strength, not ours. So if you find it hard thinking about serving or giving, remember you don't do it in your own strength. And if you're feeling weak about that this morning, that's fine. In fact, that's a good thing because you know that you don't do it in your own strength. You do it in God's strength. And that's the only way that any of us should serve or give is in God's strength alone. No need for guilt or feeling inadequacy. We're all in the same boat here. We all desperately need God's grace and God's strength to live lives like that. So if being a Christian means a new way of living, God's way, in God's strength, why should we do it? Well, we do it for God's glory. For God's glory. Look on at the end of verse 11, uh, towards the end of this passage. It says, if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. The whole purpose of living a Christian life is simple. It's for God's glory. For God's glory. This is what makes a Christian different. This is what marks them out. You see, it's perfectly possible. It's perfectly possible for a non-Christian to stop doing bad things and living a good life. It's perfectly possible. But what makes it different for Christians, and what I would say is only possible for Christians to do, is to have the right purpose. To have the right purpose. You see, Christians aren't better people than anyone else. This passage makes that clear. But they have a profoundly different motivation. And this motivation is God getting all the glory. It's not to make themselves feeling good about living a good life. It's for God's glory. That means that Rachel's motivation for paying back her overpayment isn't because she is perfect... By no means. She, she, she knows how much she would want that money, how it would make things easier. Her motivation is her desire to see God glorified in all parts of her life, even and especially when it's hard to see God glorified. This is the whole purpose of Christian living. The purpose of, of turning away from old ways. God's glory. 
The purpose of, of a new inner life, Christ's attitude, God's glory. The purpose of your generosity, of anything we do in church, God's glory. It's as Peter says in our passage, that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Whether you're a Christian or not, or you're not sure this morning, I hope you see that living as a Christian means a new way of living, a new way of living. But it's only possible through his grace and strength. And the reason for it all, the reason for it all, is that Jesus would get all the praise and all the glory. Not us, him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a generous God. And you saved that generosity so much in, in giving your own son, who died for us, who, who you raised to new life, that has the power to, to rescue us from, from old ways, to give us a new inner life and a new generosity. Lord, we pray that we would not do this in our own strength. Forgive us, Lord, for, for ways that we have tried to, to live a Christian life in our own strength. Thank you that it is all because of your grace. And because of that, Lord, it is all due to your glory. Father, help us to live lives this week that is all about your grace and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.